Now what we're doing here is we're working our way through the, the tribulational period. And that's, that's really where we're going to finish really out this course. We've already talked about the eternal state. We don't have to do that. But we are going to finish out the tribulation, the return of Christ, and, and probably the, a little bit on the final judgment. And then that will end the doctrine of eschatology here. But as we work our way through tribulation, what you find in the middle section of Revelation, Revelation 4 through 19, is of course an extended discussion of the tribulational period. What is it? It's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time where God once again turns to Israel and works with Israel. And what's his purpose in working with Israel is to bring them to repentance, to bring them to national repentance. Uh, we understand that there are individual Jews that are born again. And if a Jew today becomes born again, they're part of the church. They're not part of national Israel. But God, again, is going to someday turn to Israel, and that's the tribulational period. And he does that in order to bring them back to repentance, where they recognize him as their Messiah. And also, he's going to pour out his final judgment on the Antichrist. Satan is going to have his shot at running things. And if anything, the tribulation shows is that men cannot govern themselves. All right, it doesn't work. Satan's kingdom cannot stand because by its very nature, it is a self-centered kingdom. You can't make it work. And God's going to prove that through the tribulational period. And the way the judgments unfold, of course, is these seven seals, seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. Um, some versions have vial, but if you want to think of it, think of, you ever see a censer bowl, a real shallow bowl like, like you put fruit in? That, that's the bowl it's talking about. It's a real shallow type bowl. All right, and that's the seven bowl judgments. And what you see as as this is unfolding is a, a a an increasing frequency. Again, what's one of the main pictures that Christ used of the tribulation? It's like a woman giving birth. So you start out, you know, you got contractions every three hours or four hours, I guess it goes or something like that. And as the birth gets closer and closer, what happens? They get more rapid, they get stronger, they get more painful, they get worse and worse and worse, and finally, boom, out comes the baby. And that's the way the Christ pictures, or the New Testament pictures, the tribulation. The, the judgments start out slow, but they, they build and they keep escalating, and they're getting more and more frequent to the point till right at the end, Christ said, unless he came back, no flesh would be saved. I mean, it's that bad. The judgments are that severe. So we see the first seals being unfolded. And, and what's that? Well, as, as the scroll is opened, and if you go back to those ancient days and you were to have a legal document, you would roll the scroll up, you'd write some stuff on it, roll it up, and seal it with wax. Then you'd write some more, roll it up, seal it with wax. All right? And that's the way it works. So as you unfold the scroll and break the seals, more and more is being revealed. And that's what you see here. As the scroll is being unrolled, more and more stuff is being revealed. And of course we have the first seal, which is what? The rider on the white horse. Now I don't know what Dan talked about, okay? I, I, I don't have his, his um, videos or his audio, so I don't know what he said. But you see there, you see these forces of peace. What's the rider on the white horse? It's peace. And what is the tribulation going to be like at the first part, the first half of it, for the most part? peace. 
yeah, it seems like heaven on earth, we finally got all the problems solved. Good night. You know, all of a sudden, we finally solved our problems. We're finally able to pull this stuff off. But that peace is immediately followed by what? The rider on the red horse, which is war. And this is not just war. This is global war. War to the point where the Bible says you got a third of mankind being killed, and then you got a quarter. If you do the math, that's one half. Fifty percent of every human being will die during this time. One out of two people will be dead. All right. Now, of course, some places are going to be worse than others, right? But statistically, one out of two people are going to die. And then followed the, right on the red horse, you've got the horse of famine, right? Well, what happens when you have war? You have famine, right? You have death and famine. You, you have famine conditions. You can't plant your crops. You can't harvest your crops. And then if you have that and you have one out of two people are dead, what do you have as far as disease goes? You've got rampant pestilence the world over. You've got, you've, you've got you know, unsanitary conditions. Um, think about what it is to be in a society where half the people are dead and you can't bury them right away. That's gross, isn't it? But that's, that's what we see. That's the imagery we see. Um, and as these seals are unfolded, you see more and more um, of God's judgment falling. Um, then you have the fifth seal. And what do you see with the fifth seal? Well, you see the martyrs under the altar, right? Who are they? They're the ones that are killed for the testimony of Christ. Why is that? Well, they are against the Antichrist. Remember, if, we, if you go back to Revelation 12, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. What is the Antichrist going to do in the last three and a half years? He's going to go after who? The saints. the saints. He's going to go after Israel, and he's going to go after the remnant who believed. And, and that's who he's after. And you have the martyrs of the people under the altar. You have worldwide persecution of Christians going on. Then you have the sixth seal, and what happens? You have a great earthquake. You have what we call cosmic disturbances. You have stars falling from heaven. Now, we understand those are not physical, literal, stellar bodies. What, what are they? Meteors, comets, meteor shower. We see those now. Understand that John is writing in pictorial language. He's not writing scientifically, necessarily. He's writing from the viewpoint of someone who's standing there watching this happen. And we all know, we talk about shooting stars. Well, theoretically, we know that's not a physical, literal star. But what does it look like? A star. And that's what you see. And in fact, that's what you're going to see in a lot of these um, judgments coming up. He's speaking from the perspective of a viewpoint. He's not trying to give a scientific explanation of what he's seeing. He's trying to say, this is what it looks like to me. And you're going to see that as we work our way through. And then what you have, you have the seventh seal that's open. And the seventh seal, it says there's silence in heaven for a half hour. Now, what, what's so unique about that? What's so unique about silence in heaven? What does that mean? Everybody's looking, what's, what's the next thing? Now, some said that means there's no women in heaven. I don't believe that. That's not what it's talking about. Yeah, that's a little joke. It, it, it's, 
think, think of it, think of it, it's something like there, there's all of heaven is anticipating what's going to happen. And, and it's, a, it's a silence of all. And, and this is interesting, all the praises, remember what's happening around the throne as, as there's praise, there's praising. the angels, holy, holy, holy. And all of a sudden it's like an, all of heaven is silent. It's the calm before the storm. Yeah. And what this silence is really pointing to is there's something awesome about to happen. Now think about it. Heaven's a noisy place. I mean, it's good noise, but it's a noisy place. But probably for the first time in all of eternity, it's silent. And there's a lot of people, you know, we're there. The angels are there. The, 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 the beasts around the throne are there. The angels are there. And all of a sudden, it's silent. And I think it's a silence of anticipation. Something monumental is about to happen. And what happens? Well, chapter 8. By the way, just so you know, in the pattern in the book of Revelation, between the sixth and seventh of the things, there's a break. All right? So between the sixth seal mentioned in chapter 6 and the seventh seal in chapter 8 we have the sealing of the 144,000. Now who are they? Well they're Jews. They're Jewish evangelists. And when God seals them what's, what's he saying? What does the seal represent? Commission. Commission. Other things. They to Ownership. Ownership right? What's another one? Hmm? Authority. It's another thing. Ending to what they're writing out and saying, evangelizing about next next seal. Um, ending. No, not really. If I if you got ownership, you got commissioning. There's one other thing, and that and you see this in, for example, if you go back to um, the book of Ezekiel, I think it's about chapter 7 or 8, um, you have the vision of the man with the ink horn. And what happens is God says, okay, I want you to go through 
start at the altar and I want you to start, go out from there and I want you to put a mark on everyone who is not an idolater. And then he tells uh, another angel with a sword, say, I want you to go through and anyone who does not have the seal, what do you do? You kill him. So what's the seal given a, a sign of? Protection. And I think you see all of these things wrapped up in this. These 144,000 guys are going to make it all the way through the tribulation. They're not going to be able to be killed. They're going to make it to Mount Zion. In Revelation 14, they're standing on Mount Zion praising God. I don't think they're going to be martyred. They're they're sealed by God. God has 144,000 untouchables, in a sense, that are divinely protected, that are his ambassadors. Why would the tribe of Dan? Beats me. That's a good paper topic. Yeah, that that, that is a, that's not, not something I've I've researched, but if you look at the, it's interesting when you bring that up. You look at the various lists of the tribes throughout the Bible, and there's some tribes that are always there, and there are others that come and go. Dan's one of those. You have Ephraim and Manasseh, but not Dan, I think here. And Ephraim and Manasseh are from who? Joseph. Yeah. And Dan, of course, went off into idolatry, and that's a possibility there. The point is, now, how many of these guys are there? There's 144,000. And I believe you take the scripture for what it says, so there's 144,000 of them. All right? I don't think you need to, well, that's just figurative language, meaning, then why does he list each of the tribes? All right? These are divinely protected ambassadors. We'll see that when we get to chapter 14. Then in chapter 8, coming up, we have the seventh seal, or the seventh seal open, and there was silence in heaven, and seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets, and then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angels. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Something big's about to happen here. Something big. So when the seventh angel or the seventh seal is open, we have seven angels that stand before the throne of God. Who are they? We don't know. There's seven of them. And they're given, each of them is given a trumpet. Now, what's the imagery of a trumpet? What's a trumpet? Announcement. Announcement. There's an announcement. There's a military announcement. It could be a call to something. It could be some announcement going forth. Remember, you know, back in those days, they didn't have PA systems and megaphones and stuff. So how did you communicate to your troops? You communicated via trumpets. Or in the, in the, and this is really fascinating, you know, I just got back from my vacation visiting these old forts, and they have different songs that they played. One song will tell you you need to get ready for breakfast. A different song would have you get up in the morning. A different song would say you're about to bunk down in 30 minutes. You know, they had different songs. That's how they communicated via the fort and around the town. If you've got half your soldiers in town and the fife and drum corps goes through the town playing the tune, you'll know what you need to do, depending on what song was being played. And you have the, the, the announcement here coming. There's some announcement. There's some, something monumental about to happen. And seven angels come out. They're given seven trumpets. 
And the same seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them, verse 6. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. What's this? Think of yourself as a first century Jewish guy looking at this. What do you, what do you, what's the imagery? Well, this is, this is the first trumpet here. A third of the trees are burned up. A third of the... Well, I mean, what is this judgment? It's really simple. What, what, apparently, what apparently causes this judgment? Yeah. It's a meteor shower of some kind. Right? It could be a it could be volcanic. It could be a meteor shower. Could be it could be a, but but this I don't think is volcanic because a third of the earth is affected. That'd be one massive volcano, right? Most likely what is it? It's a large meteor shower. And what does it appear for John, who's watching this thing, what does it look like? It's raining fire, right? I mean, it's raining fire. Yeah, what is a meteor? You know, he, he doesn't know that. But if you have this massive meteor shower, actually, you have meteor fragments hitting the earth over a large period of, or a large area, what's going to happen? Especially, and by the way, meteors hit the earth about 30,000 miles an hour, just so you know. And they're very hot. They're molten almost to the point when they hit. So what's going to happen? Anything they touch is going to catch on fire and burn. This is probably some large meteor shower. And it looked like hail to him, right? Well, I mean, the only other thing he could think of is hail falling from heaven. Well, these are rocks. These are meteors. Um, a massive meteor shower, a massive something that hits the earth and causes all of this destruction and fire. Well, it could be, you know, it, it looks like these are small. It doesn't look like these are massive rocks, you know, making massive craters, all right? But, look, he, he, here's a guy who's, who's a first century Jewish guy and he's trying to de describe something that he doesn't have words and vocabulary for. So he's going to describe it in terms of images that people of that time can relate to. At that time, they understood a hail shower. They remember hail falling. Well, this is hail mixed with fire. What is that? Well, that's got to be, most likely, some kind of meteor shower hitting, causing this destruction. Now, could God supernaturally create hail that burns? Well, sure he can. But how does God usually operate? Within natural means. Yeah. Yeah. Could be death of things. It could be. Could be. It looked like blood to him. You know. My Bible says it's a great mountain burning, suggests a massive, massive island volcano erupting explosively over a far flung section of ocean water, and um, this indicates that this is much more than a wind blown pollution. Volcano ash, the sea becoming blood, and the creatures in the sea dying are like an extension 
of the first plague on the Egyptians, turning up the waters of the Nile River into blood. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's multiple, the point is there's multiple natural ap ex explanations. Me, I think it's just a massive meteor shower. And what does it look like to poor old John? It looks like hail and fire mingled with blood falling to the earth. Because it's burning stuff up as it's hitting. All right, so it's not any normal hail that's cold. This is actually burning stuff. And then it says here, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. What's this? Well, it could be a volcanic explosion. I think it's just a, a meteor. I mean, think, think about those cool movies. What is it, Armageddon? What's the other one? Um, Deep Impact. Remember Deep Impact? All right. She said it was all last night. Yeah, oh, Deep Impact. Yeah, it was. Remember, what happened before the big meteor showed up? Yeah, all these little meteors hitting, you know? Somewhere out there, I think there's a meteor with our name on it. All right, and God's got it timed perfectly that it's going to hit at the right appropriate time. So you have all these little fragments coming, then what do you, the big one's on its way. And if it, let's, say, let's say the meteor hit in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. What would happen to the Pacific Ocean? Think of deep impact. Think of the, the massive tidal waves. What would happen to the life in the ocean? Well, that wouldn't be a good day to be a whale out there, would it? <laughs> All right. And if a meteor is mainly made up of what element? No. Iron. What happens when iron hits water? Well, if it's really hot, it'll explode. All right. But what color does the water become? Red. With the iron oxides. I think this is a large meteor that hits the earth. By the way, if you think we're, we're messing up the earth with our pollution, wait till God gets a hold of it, right? right? That, that's no excuse to be a pollutant, but someone said if you think we're trashing the world, wait till God, God's created this as a disposable planet. Now, he can also clean it up, right? But there's coming a day in which there's going to be some massive environmental catastrophes. And the Sierra Club is not going to have a good day when, half the, when a third of animals in the sea are dead. Think of the stench. Think of the decay. One third of the sea life. You know, this makes it so much more realistic when you say that God works within his creation and his own laws mm -hmm. that he established. That none of this is supernatural, never been seen phenomenon. It's supernatural in the extent of its timing. But God has created God has created a universe where He can use natural processes to bring about His sovereign will. Natural, there you go, natural processes. Yes, I think it's just a, a large meteor that hits. All right, and a third of the ships were destroyed. How were a third of the ships destroyed? Well, massive tidal waves do not do well with ships. All right. And, and literally, you know, you think a deep impact where hitting the Atlantic and you have a 600-foot tidal wave washing over the land. Yeah, that, that's about... Think of what would happen to the, all of the ports along the coast. We had... Th th just, just so you understand the destruction. Remember, what is it, back with the um, tidal wave in um, Indonesia? What was that? That was a wussy tidal wave compared to this one. That was a nothing compared to this one. That was, what, a 20-foot wave or 10-foot wave or something like that? 
And look at the destruction it did. Think of something that's 200, 300, 400 feet high. The destruction that will happen. And then the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. Well, what's that? That's a meteor, right? Here's another meteor falling. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. What's that? Well, that's, here's another meteor that hits, and this apparently hits where? Instead of hitting the ocean, where does this one hit? On land. And what happens to the freshwater sources? They become polluted. By the way, I heard that one of the major elements that can be found in meteors is arsenic. Yeah, that's sort of bad, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, think, you know, we were just up at Lake Superior in a beautiful lake. And what would happen if all of a sudden all the Great Lakes became poisoned and you couldn't drink the water? People would die they needed water to drink. People would die. Think of that. Think of what would happen. Um, think how sensitive our ecosystem is. And if you have this hit the fresh water sources and people drink it and are dying and sick because of the pollution. You know, there's a lot of nasty chemicals in meteorites. You know, and whatever this is, it's, it's, it kills people. And then um, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that the third of their light might be darkened and a third of the night might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the day might be kept from shining and a third of the night. What is this? This is darkness. Well, how does this darkness affect it? What causes this darkness? So God turns them down? What happens if you have one third of all of the stuff burned up, all the green grass is burned up, you got smoke, you got garbage in the atmosphere, Krakatoa, it's interesting. I don't know if you ever, ever read about Krakatoa. It was, a, it was a volcano in Sumatra that blew up in 1880, something like that. 1881, 1882. Thing blew up. I mean, it exploded. And we're talking about two or three miles of volcano disappearing in this massive explosion. The debris went up into the upper atmosphere. And for two or three years after that, the worldwide average temperature fell like two degrees. They had famines all over the world because of this smoke in the atmosphere. Yeah. Well, Seth was saying just going to sign, just look at Russia right now with all that smoke. Yeah. Yeah. You get all of this junk up into the atmosphere, and it's saying there's so much particulate matter in the atmosphere that one third of, this, of the light of the sun doesn't hit the earth. Oh, yeah. And it's all these reds and oranges, you know, you all know because of pollution, the sunsets are much more vibrant. And for a year, I think it was, after Krakatoa erupted, he did his, you know, a document water park. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think the, you actually you can actually find tombstones where people died during the famine of that time. But it was a Neanderthal. You know. And actual Krakatoa too is growing right. Uh, Yellowstone is a super volcano. I don't know if you knew that. Yellowstone is a volcano. And if that erupts, the whole part. The yeah. Well, think what happened with Mount St. Helens, remember? And you had, in, in the middle of the day, you've got streetlights coming on at noon. I mean, that's what's happening here. You, you've got massive ecological disaster happening the world over as part of God's judgment. Um, and, and they heard, by the way, they, you're able to hear the explosion of Krakatoa in Indonesia. You were able to hear it in San Francisco. They heard it in San Francisco. It was that big noise. They heard it 8,000 miles away. They heard the explosion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think of what happened to the worldwide economy if you can't fly your jets, you can't fly your planes. You know. And people couldn't drive their cars in Washington because the dust would get in the engines and ruin the engines. By the way, Chafin has a little, he's, he's weird, but um, he's a good weird. He has a little, this is a meteorite, right? Yeah, it's actually a little piece of a meteorite right here. A little piece of rock. And it's, it's, actually, it's actually metal. You can you can feel it's pretty heavy, yeah. But it's metal, yeah. Yeah, pass it around. There, it's, it's massive ecological chaos is what you have going on here. All right. And then the fifth angel blew his trumpet in, cha in chapter 9. And I saw another star fall from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, this star is what? This is not a physical star, right? What is this? Before we had a star, before we had a literal meteorite falling, is this a meteorite? No, because he said, and he was given. So this is something other than a meteorite. This is an angel. And, and, and oftentimes in scripture, the angels are mentioned as what? Stars, right? They're mentioned as a star. So this angel comes down. And he has a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. <coughs> then from the shaft, from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Ah, there's the protection component. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. What is this? Well, I'll tell you what. I have no freaking idea what this is, other than what it says. 
The angel opens the key to the bottomless pit. Now, who's in the bottomless pit right now? Who occupies the abyss? Fallen ants, not a third of them, but a chunk of them. All right? there, there's a bunch that are free, and there's a bunch that are confined. So are these demons? We don't know whether they're demonic or whatever. But what, what is this? It's some creature like a locust that comes out of there. What is this creature? I don't know. I, I don't know there's a category for it. But what is this creature allowed to do for five months? Torture people. Torture people. Sting them. And so their sting is like the sting of a scorpion. Now, I've never been stung by a scorpion, and I'm not going to volunteer to do that. But if you do your research and you study this, you find that the scorpion sting is probably the most painful sting of any sting you can get. Um, if you want to go on a pain scale, the scorpion bite is the worst. It's a particular... Some of them are, are, it's a particular type of neurotoxin that, that shuts down the ability of the body to stop pain, and it's agonizing. It is absolutely pure agonizing, and there's no antidote for it. Now, imagine people getting stung by that, and you as a Christian are walking around, and you're not affected. How does that make them feel towards you? Yeah. You'll be, you'll be able to tell who the Christians are. They're the ones not getting stung. Mm -hmm. All right? Probably they are. Probably they are. But this is, whatever this is, whatever you know, this, this works out to be, it appears to be some kind of insect-like creature that comes out and is able to torment people, and they're given five months to do it. They're not allowed to touch... Now, why do I think it's an insect-like thing where they're told not to touch the grass or a tree? You say, wait a minute, I thought all the grass and the trees were burned up. Well, grass will regrow, right? Yeah. And only a third of the trees were affected, not all of them. So it appears that this is some kind of insect that's not allowed to... It's like a locust. What do, what do locusts eat? They eat green things. Mm -hmm. Well, these are not allowed to eat the green things, but they're allowed to sting people. I don't know how that all works out. We'll find out when we're in heaven observing this if we care at that time. But the point is, this is a supernatural judgment of God on the wicked. And this is, this is an interesting thing. It says people are going to try to die and not be able to die. How would you like to do that? I'd just like to pull the trigger of the gun and it not go off. <laughs> or try to hang yourself and you can't die. I mean, the, the point, and I think, this is, I think a lot of this is imagery here. The imagery is that the pain is so great that you would wish you could die, but you can't die. It shows the agony of the pain. People would rather die than, <clears throat> than face this agony. It's interesting, I don't get too far sidetracked, but when you look at predestination, it's amazing that whoever's left on earth goes through these trials and tribulations when you get down to the bowls. Something. But this, to me, it tells me that man cannot of his own 
turn to God because you can't go through that kind of torment and still say in verse 16, and they did not repent and give him glory. And in verse 11, they blasphemed the God who because of their pains and their sword and did not repent of their deeds. Mm -hmm. That's the whole Yeah. Whatever the reason, I, I think the point that Marshall makes is this, and, I, and there's something we need to understand, is that people by nature are very rebellious. And even when God is judging them, they often blame God for the pain and the judgment. They don't turn to God for forgiveness. Look at Cain. What did Cain do? Did Cain say, gee, I'm sorry for killing Abel? No. He said, no, you're being too hard on me. Your punishment is worse than I can bear. There's, there's no brokenness on his part. It's all of the above. All of the above. When, 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 that person, when that person rejects God, stands before God, God says, what, what more could I have done? What more information could you have had? I gave you all the information. I gave you every opportunity. I gave you time to repent, and you would not repent. Think of the person who, who, who drowned in the days of Noah. What did God tell him? I gave you 120 years. Don't tell me I didn't give you an opportunity. I gave you every opportunity and you refused to take it. Even though you knew what was coming. You refused to take it. You just acted like it's not going to happen. And I think it's all of the above. I, I think it is. I think not only is God punishing the wicked, he is also trying to get their attention to bring them to repentance. And when they don't repent, it's proof on his part at least that I gave you every opportunity and you just would not, you just absolutely refused to turn to me. In spite of everything I've done, you refused. I gave you the opportunity. You didn't take it. I think like you said, this kind of defines what the natural man will do. Yeah. Without any intercession from the Lord, the natural man will be because a lot of us, you know, we look at the Old Testament and say, how could somebody be so dense as to not get it? And we don't understand just how rebellious we are to the core. We, I don't think we really understand. How could somebody, you know, walk out of Egypt after Egypt had 10 plagues, the total nation is trashed, the economy is trashed. They walk out of Egypt, they go to the Red Sea, it parts, they walk across on dry land, they watch God drown the Egyptians, and the next thing they're doing is saying, God brought us out here to kill us. What? You know, what? It doesn't make any sense. But what is man at their heart? They're rebellious. They're rebellious. And God is just showing, if anything, God is showing just how rebellious men are. He's given them opportunity. He's given them punishment. He's given them, I mean, you know God's up to something here. And if nothing, you can go read the Bible and see, hey, wait a minute, it says about this, wait, that happened yesterday. You, you can see the events unfolding. And you don't repent. God's given them opportunity. And this, by the way, is the first woe. Remember at the end of chapter 8, it says, there's an angel that says, Woe to you inhabitants on the earth, for four trumpets have sound and three are yet to come. And this is, woe one is the, angel, or the demonic locust. Woe two 
The first wo- verse 12, the first woe is past, behold, two woes are come. And a sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying that the sixth angel who had the trumpet released four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. What are these? These are four angels bound in the Euphrates. Who are they? Don't know. This is the first mention we have of them. Apparently there are some demonic forces and, and they are right now confined in the river Euphrates. Where is that? Well, that's the Middle East. How did they get confined? We don't know. We're not told. But they're confined there. And, and when they're released, what are they given time to do? To go and to kill a third of mankind, to prepare for battle to kill a third of mankind. And notice what they're, they're given. They're given a day, an hour, a month, and a year. So this gives you an idea of like when in the tribulation this is happening. It's about a year before the end where you have this happening here. And it says, uh, they were allowed to gather an army. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. That's a little over 200 million. Now some have said, well, this is the Chinese army. Some have said this is a demonic army. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure where I land on that. I've, I've been bouncing back and forth between this. We don't know, but we know that there's 200 million or whatever. By the way, China has a 200 million man standing army right now. Um, it could be them, it could be something else, but th- this army is given, when this army moves in the final, in, in, this fi- in this battle, a third of mankind. Think about it, a third of what's left. You start, these are big numbers. You understand how big the numbers are? How many people are alive in the world right now? About 8 billion, give or take. 4 billion people die like that. 4 billion. Billion, B. It's unimaginable. It's a, you can't bury the people. How do you bury 4 billion people? You can't. The, the Armageddon, they're going to be called to clean up the carnage. Because there's just too many to bury. You know, how does that work? I don't know. I, th- I think possibly when the millennium starts, there's going to be angels on burial detail trying to clean up the planet. There's just going to be so much carnage here. We, we can't imagine, you know, I, you know, again, being a World War II buff, I like looking at World War II stuff. And World War II came not even close to this. I remember reading a book called The Old Breed by Eugene Sledge. It's a fascinating book. I told you about it before. And he's a, he was a Marine that went on Peleliu and also on um, one of the other islands, Okinawa. And he talked about the Peleliu campaign where you're fighting on this little punk of rock. And he said the problem with it is you couldn't bury the dead because you're being shot at. You can't, you can't extract the dead and bury them. And this is in... Tropical heat, 100 degrees out. He said the stench was unbearable. He said the decay and the carnage and the maggots and everything was, was gross beyond belief. He said you could tell where you were on the island. You could, you could, he said there's one Japanese soldier that was killed. They could tell it was almost like a landmark. They watched him decay from a dead body to bones. They couldn't bury him. Imagine that the world over. Imagine not being able to clean it up, not being able to bury it. It's, un, it's unbelievable. The old breed. Yeah, it's called the old breed. 
Um, and, but he talked about his experiences on Peleliu and then on Okinawa, you know, where he was actually part of the 7th Marine Division or something like that, that, that would go in and, you know, they were the spearhead of this. He said, you, you, you can't relate it to the average, the average person can't relate to the conditions. And, and that's what you see happening here. You, you see worldwide carnage on such a level that it's, it, it begs our imagination to make it work. And even Hollywood would have a tough time pulling it off with special effects. Who's the author, Alan? Eugene Sledge, S-L-E-D-G-E. Okay. That's a great book, actually. It's really fascinating. But he, he was an infantryman, and he talks about his experiences. If you're into that kind of thing, it's a fascinating read. Um, but you have these four angels, and, and they go out and they get all of the men to come. It says here, they were released to kill a third of mankind. A third. That's a lot, isn't it? You had a third and a half, you get, you get a third and then half of the rest, you wind up with 50%. And that's why, you know, it's... We're out of time here, and we'll pick up the trumpet or the bulls next week. But that's why, you know, when somebody comes up and says, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure that this Bible stuff is correct. You know, I'm going to, I'll wait, and if the rapture happens, then I know you're right, and then I'll believe. Your chances of making it through the tribulation at best are 50-50. That's stupid. That's a stupid statement to say. It, 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 you, can't, you can't say that. Yeah. We have a difficult time believing in our head. I mean, we read it on paper, but get in our head just how rebellious and stubborn and obstinate people are. In spite of all the evidence. Look at the Pharisees. Give us a sign, we'll believe. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I gave you a sign. I've healed the dead. I've, I mean, I've raised the dead. I've healed everybody. I've done mir- What do you want? Another sign? Come on, guys. They didn't want to believe. Didn't matter. They were not going to believe. And that just shows how rebellious men are. Well, we'll finish this up next week. Father, thanks for this day you've granted to us. And I pray that uh, you'd help us to ponder these things. Thank you for saving us and for protecting us from this time that is coming. It is a devastating time that's going to come on the earth, and I thank you, Father, that you've saved us from that and that you've helped us to come to you, that we would repent and believe. There's a lot of people who will not. And it's hard for us to even understand just how bad this time is going to be. I find it hard to put it into words and to describe it. And even John had a rough time with it, but we trust you on this one. And uh, we look forward to that day when you do reign in righteousness and all these things are past. Thank you for this beautiful day and I pray that you would be with us now as we go to your house to worship further in the service. In Christ's name, amen.